everyone, and welcome to Trash Talk with Kate and Becky. And welcome, Lily. We are so happy to have you here to talk with us today all about trash. <laughs> I'm stoked. <laughs> yes, we're so stoked to have you here. Wait, so Lily, you're a National Geographic Explorer, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Like, so you're a, a trash truck safari explorer. So I don't have a safari suit, surprisingly. You would think all explorers have, like, the cameo to, like, blend into the woods or, like, the grass fields. I don't do that. I do more work with, like, people. So I wear normal clothes. Uh, and I use these, like, rental bikes that I find on the streets of Taiwan to kind of, like, bike alongside the trash trucks. And then there was also an experience where I followed them with a uh, car and we did a seven-hour tour up the central mountains in Taiwan and hit up four different indigenous villages to see how they pick up trash. Uh, so it's a lot of learning and talking to people about how trash goes, where it goes, then actually following it, going into recycling centers, checking out plastics factories to see how straws are made. So it's a, a lot of different components, but no like lions in the grassland like cameo. Oh, very Sadly. cool. So tell us a little bit about Taiwan. What inspired you to go there and learn about trash? I grew up in San Diego, California, in an Iranian household where hot black tea was the thing to drink. And I was the oddball out in my family because I really liked Taiwanese iced milk tea. And down the street from my father's apartment, there was a Taiwanese tea house tucked in a really quiet corner. And they had these cute little orange seats and these big glass windows. And I remember when I was a, a high schooler walking in through the doors and ordering my first iced milk tea. And I just like instantly fell in love and like that was it and I became like a VIP I went there almost every day like 10 years of patronage man like growing up at that tea house essentially and I went there to write my first love letter and I went there to study for my SATs and when I graduated from college I came back to the same tea house and sat in the same orange chair facing the same window and ordered the same drink and I remember sitting there and reaching for my milk tea and in that moment I just paused and I saw the plastic cup that I was in. You know, and prior to that, I had never, ever seen those things. I just drink and throw it out. The plastic cup and plastic straw and drink and throw it out, drink and throw it out. The trash bins would always be empty the next day. And I never had to think about where it went or what I did with it. I just wanted to enjoy what I wanted to enjoy. And when I realized this and compounded how many millions of people each and every day go out and get like a tea or a coffee or even use single-use disposable plastic materials, that I knew that I needed to do something. Where this Taiwanese tea, the plastic cup, plastic straw all came from Taiwan. So I wanted to go there and understand, you know, how do they manage their waste there? You know, next thing I know, I'm in Taiwan with three pieces of black luggage, a camera slapped over one shoulder and my purse on the other. And I was like, all right, let's do it. I had to build a whole new life in a new country. And I had my interviews in Mandarin Chinese. So I had to get like intensive lessons on like environmental terminology in Chinese. And I just went there to learn and to experience and to try and understand where these things come from and how they affect us all. I don't know if I should tell uh, our audience or not, but I have a plastic water bottle sitting in front of me right now. Um, and now I feel really bad about it. But so when I recycle this later, um, what will happen to it here in the U.S.? That's a really, really great question. And I think first it's important to say that plastic is not evil. 
it's really important to talk about that and say that plastic has done some really, really incredible things for humankind. Um, so I'm not trying to shame or guilt anybody. Um, what I do as a storyteller is to just inform people about the way things are made. And what happens to them, so they can make informed decisions about those kinds of things. So, this plastic water bottle that you have here in the United States, up until 2016, it would probably be put into a recycling bin, taken by a company to a transfer center, and if it was good quality, meaning it was clean, it would most likely be shipped to China. And a lot of people、uh, in China would go through our plastic scraps, and they would make. Materials out of them. So, in 2017, the Chinese Ministry for Environmental Protection said, "No more. We're not accepting any more imports of recyclables or waste." And suddenly, we started stockpiling recyclables in these warehouses because they had value, but we didn't have a place to put them in the United States. It was a very difficult decision that they had to landfill some of these things because there was no market. Ideally, what you can do in places like Taiwan that have these kind of systems in place is they'll take your water bottle, you'll have a, a recycling granny or recycling queen, as I like to say, sort it, clean it, and then they have engineering companies that will take the bottle and transform it into things like disaster relief blankets or solar-powered visors and caps or solar-powered backpacks. And there was a company that takes milk tea plastic cups and they transform them into cell phone packages and like high tech solar powered urinals. So all these like really cool <laughs> things. So like your plastic water bottle has the highest recycling potential out of anything else that exists because it's number one and number one is the highest quality. And you can make some really incredible things out of it. So Lily, I have to know why you chose Taiwan as your area of focus. Why you chose to study there. So Taiwan has a very interesting narrative. Aside from me loving bubble milk tea and Taiwan being the birthplace of bubble milk tea, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> thank you, Lao <laughs> Tian Liu. Thank you so much.、Uh, I also think the story of Taiwan is really interesting. So before the 1980s, they had no waste management system whatsoever. It was known domestically as Garbage Island, and that was because during the 60s and 70s, Taiwan rose to prominence was one of the great Asian tigers, in part as a result of their petrochemical plastics industry. So it rose to prominence, the economy grew, GDP grew, but the byproduct of all that growth was an incredible amount of waste. And because there was no waste management, formal waste management system, people would openly burn things. Companies had to deal with their own waste, so there are lots of stories of people illegally dumping stuff into the ocean. People would throw bags of garbage in the cities haphazardly on the street corners, where they thought somebody would pick it up. But oftentimes, it was the rats, the dogs, or the typhoons that would get to it first. Then, in 1987, Taiwan transitioned from almost four decades of martial law. No freedom of speech, no freedom of assembly, curfews at night to a democratic republic, and in this transition, at the same time, were a group of housewives, university professor housewives, who were sick and tired of their kids having to go through trash to get to school, who, as much as they cleaned their homes, could never get out the pollution. They got together and they started a group called the Homemakers United Foundation, and these women are responsible. Being the architects of Taiwan's waste management system today, where you have people having a mandatory sort between burnables, 
And by the way, in the major cities, in Taipei and New Taipei cities and Taichung, you have to buy government-mandated plastic bags. In a sense, you're paying by weight for what you consume and throw away. Wow. But recycling and compost is free. And in compost, you separate between wet waste and dry waste、mm-hmm. that go towards fertilizer for farms or pig feed for the pork industry. And recyclables have 13 categories and 33 different subcategories. Wow! And the government contracts one-year contracts with private companies to take the recyclables and then reuse them for something else. And this you see today was the result of these women who got together, who saw nature as an extension of their family, who wanted to do something for their children, and they did it. They also effectively banned styrofoam from the food and beverage industry. They piloted the first composting program in their neighborhood community before they brought it to the government. And initially, the government was like, "What does a bunch of housewives know about anything?" But look at what you see today: 55% recycling rate. These women in the schools—they have banned plastic from schools and from public offices. They did something with their own power, and I think that speaks volumes for what we can also do here in the United States. Well, I'm just wondering: can you give us an example of something that you can reuse and reuse, reuse for its entire life? Oh yeah, in Taipei City, which is the capital of Taiwan, they have、uh, three different districts. And then they collect waste from each one of these districts, and it goes to a recycling center. And there they sort the different materials by source. One of the most interesting things that I found when I was there is they have democratic elections, so people have political banners and posters to kind of support various candidates. And when the election is done and the campaign is finished, they recycle those political banners. And they put them on the bottom of sofas to refurbish the sofas, and then they're able to resell those sofas in a furniture market for college kids who need furniture for their houses. And that's really cool. That's really like ingenious. And I think the difference between us here in the United States and folks in Taiwan is Taiwan is an island. They have limited resources, and people know that. They have to import 80% of their minerals. And seventy percent of their food, almost ninety percent of their energy, so they have to reuse, reuse, reuse. Right? That concept is like embedded in a lot of the people there. Of course, in Taipei, it's a modern, fast-paced city, so convenience and stuff on the go is really a thing, especially among younger generations. But the difference is that they value everything, and I think if we could take that concept and apply it back here in the states, we too could do some really, really cool things with our own political banners and campaigns. Do you have any advice for kids in the U.S. of what they can start doing to help with our trash problem here? So, what they can do is start with themselves. Ask yourself and track how much plastic you use or you throw away each day. Have a journal. Have a notebook. See what you throw away, and based upon that, ask yourself how can you make adjustments in your life so that you're not having to use so much of it. I think people think of the three R's: reduce, reuse, recycle, and a lot of people remember recycle. But in fact, the first word is reduce, right? So, how can you reduce your impact on the environment? So, if you bring your own cup to school, can you get these wooden utensils for for lunch at school?、Um, can you inspire other kids around you to ask your teacher and then the people who work at the school, where does our trash go? 
if you don't have a recycling program in your school, you don't have any blue bins, like, ask why? I mean, kids are curious and they love asking questions. So you start by trying to understand what are the waste systems that exist within your school and then trying to make a difference. The other thing you can do is if you're a creative person and you like art, like make a music video. I met a bunch of kids yesterday who came up with the Save the Planet dance and they were doing this dance and wiggling around and everyone's like, oh, yeah. We should protect the planet. Like we should save the planet. All the kids are like, "Yeah, let's do it." And you don't have to be a kid to make a dance. Kate and I have dances for everything. So We do. So, Lily, we always ask people this question on our show and we wanted to know what your favorite weird but true fact about trash is. Yeah, sure. So, trash is weird. But trash comes from the earth. Whether it's paper from the trees or plastic from fossil fuels, which are actually fossils literally in the ground. What we have to keep in mind is, yeah, trash may be like icky and smelly and ew, it's so gross. But it's only by the way that we use it that makes it trash. I guess I never really thought about that it that way before. That is so interesting. I've never thought about that before. That's what I really enjoy about being a storyteller is questioning those assumptions instead of putting like blind faith into your recycling bin or blind faith into the label organic or blind faith into biodegradable plastic bags. Let me tell you something about biodegradable plastics. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very sorry to break this to you, but technically they're not biodegradable. What? Yeah, that's what people in the adult world call greenwashing, right? So the idea is... Biodegradable plastics can only biodegrade if they're separated from everything else in the waste source. They're put into a separate facility with a specific temperature, with specific microorganisms, with specific moisture. But you have to have money to build that facility. You have to have a system in place that can distinguish and pull apart those from the rest of the waste stream. And then you can have them biodegrade. But if you just throw them in the trash with everything else, they're not really going to. And in fact, a lot of people don't know that plastic takes between, it's estimated, it takes between 400 to 1,000 years to decompose. That's like longer than any of us are ever going to live, period. Even if you have like the immortal cup of life, like no. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me that all the money I spend on Bob Barker's biodegradable poop bags that I that rip really easily and I pick up his poop and get it all over my hand because they get holes in them really easily and then I toss Gross. them in the poop bins. <laughs> that does nothing. Well, it does something, right? It makes you feel better about what you're consuming, what you're using. It is made not from fossil fuels. They put like cassava root or corn pellets instead of like a plastic fossil fuel pellet in the way that they design it. But the solution to what we need in this world is sometimes not necessarily buying more things or buying different things. It's how can we be creative with what we have? So I met a lot of people in Taiwan and I've done this myself where I don't have a bag and I had to walk my sister's dog. So what did I do? Find a leaf. I found a leaf. What do I do? I had a receipt in my pocket. I used the receipt. <laughs> you know, like, there are many different ways that we can approach the, our needs in the world today. We just have to think about how we can do that. Lily, where can kids and their grown-ups go to find out more about you? 
So first, you can check out my YouTube channel. It's My Waste My Way with no spaces. And I did a 12-day zero plastic waste video series challenge where I followed some trash trucks. So if you're excited about that, definitely go check that out. And then with your grown-ups, you can go to the National Geographic Society blog and you'll find stories there about hip-hop music and trash and chasing truth through plastic factories and meeting the environmentalists who's leading the charge on transforming Taipei into a zero-waste city. 